We're starting a brand new message series today, and I'm very, very excited about this series, and I'll tell you why. It's wrapped around my favorite topic of all Bible topics. It's all about Jesus, and uh, Jesus will change your life. He has changed so many of your lives, and I'm very excited about this. And I've been praying a lot about this series. In, in fact, I've been praying about this series in different ways. I'm, I'm praying that that it will be an equipping series. And you say, well, what do you mean by that, an equipping series? I'm praying that there's going to be some things that you're going to learn about Jesus during these four weeks that we're together, some things you're going to be be able to learn about him because a lot of people are asking questions about Jesus, who he is, what he does, what did he teach, um, why is he, you know, like the leader of Christianity, what is it about his life? And I want you to be equipped so that you can communicate intelligently who he is, what he does, and why he has influenced the world that he, in the way that he has. So I want you to be equipped to be able to do that. But, but more so, uh, and that's a biggie, that's a biggie. I don't want to underestimate that. But, but I do pray that there would be so many of you that even though you already know him, maybe you've just become, you know, so familiar and you've just been walking with Jesus for so long that it's not as profound in your life as it once was. And I'm praying that in these four weeks together that what would happen in your life is that you would simply fall in love with Jesus all over again. I have so many people that attend our church that are not yet followers of Jesus, and that's fine. We welcome all people. You don't have to be a Christian to come to our church. We hope that eventually you will become a Christian. But uh, candidly speaking, there are those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, and you're investigating, and you're asking some good questions. My prayer for you, and I want to be clear about this, is that you would give God more access into your life, into your heart, into your mind. And during these four weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus. In the series, we're calling uh, Jesus the Great Reveal. And the reason we need to look at Jesus, not just he's the founder of Christianity and the leader of Christianity, not just because he made these outrageous claims that he was the very son of God, which I believe he validated and backed up, by the way, but nobody's changed the world the way that Jesus has changed the world. Nobody has changed in his teachings. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to begin, and we're going to look at so many segments of Jesus' life. Today, we're going to look at the area of his teaching. Uh, Next week, and I'm not even going to tell you, I know where I'm going in those, but I'm not going to give it away. But I want you to be here every single week. And uh, there's going to be so many important things we're going to be looking at. Unless you're out of town, listen, if you're out of town, we understand. Uh, If you're in ICU, we understand. But barring that, we fully hope that you will be here. And because this is such an important series for our lives. And today, again, we're going to be talking about his teaching because nobody ever taught the way that Jesus taught. Not even close uh, did people teach the way that he did. And when Jesus taught, there were always crowds. In, in fact, uh, some time ago, I, I took my Bible. This has been about two or three years ago. And I've mentioned it to many of you. You've heard me say it publicly here that there's more than just one way to study the Bible. And if I've been studying the Bible one particular way, I want to mix it up and provide some creativity to it. I may study the Bible a little bit different way and just be looking for certain things that maybe I've not noticed before. Uh, I want to take a moment and mention it, not because, you know, we're trying to hawk items because we simply charge what we pay for the book, but out of the information table and sold a, bo- a lot of them last, uh, last hour. We have a few more left, but the story, and it was one of those times in my life where I just said, you know what? I've been reading the Bible this way, and I've read it so many times through. I want to read it in a little bit different way, and I happened to find out about this. They call it the story, and it's the Bible, but it's not all the Bible. It's not every single verse of every single chapter. The unique thing about that is it's 
written as a story, the story of God, and it's written in chronological order. And uh, so I've mentioned that, and I mentioned it for a couple of reasons. If you've been studying the Bible and you want to look at a different way to study your Bible, it's a great way. Just start in the beginning, read it like a story all the way through. Again, not every verse, not every chapter. It doesn't have all of that. And then others I've recommended this book to are people that I know that feel a little bit intimidated by the Bible. They think about all these books in the Old Testament, all these books in the New Testament, and all these chapters and all these verses, and I offer them... Uh, a non-intimidating option. And so we have some of those out of the information table. But it's one of those times when I was studying the Bible and I wanted to study it a little bit different way. So when I got into the Gospels and it was talking about the life and ministry of Jesus, anytime that it talked about, uh, you know, crowds or there would be a multitude, I would, I would highlight that in my Bible because it just seems that whenever Jesus was teaching, uh, especially once his ministry sort of caught wind, that there were always crowds, always multitudes of people who had gathered around him in a lot of different ways. One time he's coming through an area and Jesus was always teaching. And you'll hear me get to that a little bit later. And so he's walking through this village and this vertically challenged guy, this short guy, Zacchaeus, we've talked about him before. He climbs up to a tree. There's so many crowds of people that he climbs up to a, into a tree because that's going to be the only way above all these taller people, this massive group of people that he's going to be able to see Jesus. Another time, there's this enormous crowd. Jesus is teaching and he's in this little house almost and, and the friends of this guy who really wanted to hear Jesus, they are so passionate about uh, getting their friend who cannot walk into the place where Jesus was teaching. They actually tore up the roof of this house and lured this guy through. Now, how many of you, you'd be slightly frustrated if that happened to be your house and somebody tore through the roof, made a hole, cut it, and, you know, dropped a friend down in so they could hear. Another time, Jesus is teaching. The crowds are so vast that he actually has to say to his disciples, hey, I'm going to get in this boat and let's go a little bit away from shore. They didn't have all the sound equipment, you know, highly advanced mics and stuff that we have today. So he was looking for amplification and he felt like the best way to be able to communicate to this huge group of people was that if he could get into a boat, and he did, they went a little bit offshore. And so he taught the people, masses of people, and I just went through and I just highlighted anytime I'd see the multitude or crowds I just highlight and it was amazing how many times this happened and every everybody you know at times loved the teachings of Jesus and then followed them but there's a whole nother group that they did not like his teaching in fact it made them so angry so irate that they started looking for ways to kill him in fact the the teaching of Jesus and you need to understand this the teaching of Jesus was so controversial that it actually ultimately would get him killed. That's how controversial his teaching was, that eventually they, uh, religious people, not not non-Christians, not non-followers of Jesus, religious people had Jesus nailed to a cross because of some of the things that he said. Well, he was nailed to the cross, I mentioned to you recently. He was resurrected from the dead. They got all excited, emotionally. Ah, Jesus is going to stay with us. No, I'm not going to stay with you. I talked about this in the last series. No, I'm not staying with you. I'm going back to the Father, and here's what I'm going to do. I said, I'm going to entrust the plan. I'm going to give you the plan. I talked about that last week, and he handed off the plan. And then he went back into heaven. So now he's got the apostles. And the apostles are those that Jesus most invested in. And he said, you take my message. And and they went out. And of course, they had the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. But they also had the teachings of Jesus. And they started teaching the teachings of Jesus. And the very same people that got mad about Jesus' teaching now become angry with these guys. And so uh, on this particular occasion, I'm going to show you on the screen, uh, they haul in these religious authorities called the 
Sanhedrin haul in these two uh, apostles, these two followers of Jesus who are now teaching what Jesus taught, and they bring them in for the purpose of interrogation. But I want you to notice what they thought about these men. Look at it up here on the screen. Take a look at this right here. This is out of Acts. Acts 4.13, it says, when they, and this is the Sanhedrin, the religious gathering, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, these apostles, and realized that they were what? What were they? They were unschooled, ordinary men. They were what? What's this word here? They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So there's nothing spectacular about these guys. They're ordinary. They're uneducated fishermen. And there's nothing special about them. But uh, the reality is, you know, they, they were so passionate. When they stood before the Sanhedrin for interrogation, they were not afraid. In fact, they were strangely confident. And uh, they said, man, they just stood back and they're in awe. They were astonished. They were amazed. And they took note that although they were unschooled, uh, ordinary guys, just old fishermen, they took note. There was something powerful about their life. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. But it was not just unschooled, ordinary fishermen who were so powerfully transformed by Jesus' teachings. Again, I'm telling you, and I'm going to say it again and again. And it's not going to be before I for, that I forgot that I said it. You're going to say, didn't he say that? Does he forget that he says these things? No, intentionally. I, I want you to know that I'm at least 35% in charge of my mental faculties this morning. So you may hear me say it and say, does he know? And yes, I do it intentionally, repetitively, because I want you to know, nobody's teaching changed people the way Jesus is teaching. Nobody changed the world like Jesus' teaching changed the world. But again, it was not just ordinary fisherman types, but it was also highly intellectual types like the Apostle Paul. And without a doubt, and this would not just be so among Christian historians, but non-Christian historians as well, would, would talk of the brilliance of Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, and how that he, you know, would say of Jesus, one of the most brilliant people who ever lived, actually was a student of, and we'll come to this a little later, was the student of the greatest rabbi of his day, and that was Gamaliel. But this is what Paul says. I want you to look at it up on the screen. This is Paul in Colossians 2, 3, and he says this. He says, God is hidden. I promise it's going to be up there. I promise Colossians 2, 3 is going to appear magically right. Yes, just like that. It's going to come right up on that screen. And this is what it says. Read it with me, everybody. That God has hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. That God has hidden And you know what's amazing? Paul, again, he was a student of the greatest rabbi of that day, Gamal. Nobody was as brilliant as Gamal. But Paul never said that about Gamal. He never said that possessed within him is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul was a brilliant man himself, and yet he never said it about himself. He never said this about anybody, but he recognized in Jesus unmatched wisdom and intelligence. And friends, this is what was so amazing about the teaching of Jesus is not only were very ordinary, uneducated people totally changed, and not only could they they comprehend what Jesus was actually saying, yet also the antithesis of that, the brightest and the most accomplished could not even begin to perceive or plumb the depths of his wisdom and understanding. So very plain, ordinary people got it. But those who were the most brilliant couldn't even begin to understand how deep the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus actually was. 
never been anybody, not even close, whose teaching have changed so many lives in this world. So here's what's going to happen. In the time that remains, I want to talk to you very specifically because a lot of times we don't think, you know, we don't piece it all together. But I want to piece a lot of this together for you today because I want to talk to you for the next few moments very, very specifically and practically about the teaching of Jesus. Now, I know how some of the minds work because my mind works this way, and I'm just going to give it up ahead of time, that when I mention that I'm going to tell you five things, five things, everybody, you know, f- do this, five, five things uh, about the teaching of Jesus. I'm not going to spend equal amount of time on all of them. And, and the reason I mention that is because I, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this, in fact, considerably more time on the first one than I will on, say, maybe the third one and the fifth one. Uh, and, the reason I want to say that is because some of you, you'll do this mental calculation. Uh, you'll take the number of minutes that I spent on the first one, and your, your analytical mind will kick into gear, and you will say if he spent that much time on the first one and he spends equal amount of time on the next four, this is what time we're going to get out. And so I'm just saying I'm not going to spend equal amount of time. Let me also say, because some of you are new and you don't know this. The veterans know this. We have this sort of uh, rule around our church. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but our church is dark. Have you, have you noticed this? Our church is dark. Have you noticed that the seat that you're in is a very comfortable seat? I pray you do not discover this, but if you do happen to discover it, these seats actually recline. I hope you don't discover that, but they do recline. Now, this is what I know. You put people, any person, in a dark room, in a comfortable seat, and that seat reclines, a person can go into, in a matter of moments, into prayerfulness. And so if you look around and you say, they're praying, and then you realize that they are not praying, but they are, they are losing, they are going into a semi-conscious condition, then here's the rule around our church. You get to smack them. You can smack them. You smack them in Jesus' name, and you tell them, come back to life. You bring them. You resurrect them right here, right now. In fact, go ahead and look around right now. If you see anybody that appears to be even remotely sleepy, go ahead and give them a practice smack. It's quite all right. That, that works at our church. All right, so I want you to stay with me. I want to talk to you in the remainder of our time, five things about the teachings of Jesus, and what was it about his teaching that made it, compared to all others, incomparable, really? All right, let's start with how does Jesus teach? How does Jesus teach? You need to understand this. Fundamentally, you need to understand how did Jesus teach. And there's many examples of this in the Bible, but I want you to look at these two verses. This is Matthew chapter 7, and I want you to look at verses 28 and 29. This is how he taught. It said, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he has just finished a teaching now. It says, the crowds, and there's that word again. There's these crowds. The crowds were what? What's that word? They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. That is, that is repetitive throughout the scriptures. In fact, these next two verses are not on the screen, but I want you to listen to what the people said. Very similar to what you just saw. This is actually out of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 27. Listen to this verse. It said, this is after Jesus had just given a teaching. It said, the people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? It'd be like us, like, what is, what is going on? And a crowd of people, what is happening here? And they said, we know what it is. It is a new teaching, and this teaching has authority. The teaching of Jesus has authority. And we need to inspect this with a little bit more detail. And I told you I'd spend a little bit more time on this first one because we've got to get this one. How did he teach? He taught with authority. So let's inspect this a little more detail. If the people recognize the teaching of Jesus as being, some of the words they used, as new, 
This is a new teaching. If the people are saying there's something about his teaching that has authority in it, if they're saying about his teaching that he teaches unlike the other teachers of the law, and they were not trying to put them down. He was just saying the, they were just saying the teaching of Jesus is so superior to that. Then, then what is it about that teaching that causes Jesus' teaching to be new and superior and amazing and with authority? Now, in Jesus' day, you, and I'm going to give you, you know, a perspective here that I think will be helpful. In Jesus' day, the greatest teachers were called rabbis. This is Jesus' day, called rabbis. In fact, Jesus is known to be a rabbi. He is referred to as rabbi 11 different times in the Gospels. Now, in the Old Testament, you can check this out sometime. In the Old Testament, you're going to be reading a lot about kings or leaders in that regard. But then you're also going to be, in the Old Testament, you're going to read a lot about prophets and priests. But what you notice occurring in the, in the New Testament is, is prophets and priests are not mentioned as much, but what you see is you see the emergence of rabbis. Now, to better understand the teaching of Jesus, you need to process the instruction of the rabbis. Now, in order to do that, you've got to understand the people of Israel. This is all occurring around this time. The people of Israel did not have very much. They just did not. They did not have a lot of wealth. They did not have a powerful government. They did not have massive armies and all of this. But what the people of Israel had, and this made all of the difference in the world, the people of Israel had what was referred to as the book. They had the book. They had, we would say, the book of God. The Bible, the Scripture, not the totality of the Bible because the New Testament is just being written. Jesus is living out the Gospels that would be recorded about his life. So they have the Torah. They have the Hebrew Scriptures. They have the Old Testament. They, are, they have the book. In fact, these followers of God, these believers, you can't call them Christians yet fully. You will eventually. In fact, it says, you know, as you get a little bit deeper into the New Testament, that they were called Christians for the very first time, a place called Antioch. So you'd say believers, and they didn't have a lot, but what they had is they had the book, and they were the people of the book. Now, a rabbi is someone who knew the book. A rabbi knew the book, and a rabbi loved the book, and a rabbi would teach the book, and the rabbi would take before his students and tell them, what does the book mean, and how do you actually live out the book? Now, how much did a rabbi, a rabbi in Jesus' day, how much did they love the book? I tell you how much they loved the book. They loved the book so much that they would memorize all of the Hebrew Scriptures. They would memorize the entirety of the Old Testament. Now, how many of you have ever made, not a trick question, just asking, how many of you have ever made it a purpose to try to memorize some, some Scripture, some verses in the Bible? You've made it a, a practice, and that's a good thing, and I think everybody ought to do that. And a lot of people do that, and they're like, well, why am I doing that? Because there's going to be some point in time, there's going to be some point in time when the Holy Spirit is going to find you at just the right moment when you need something that you have memorized from the Bible, and He's going to bring it to your attention when you need it most. See, if you were to walk up to me right now and you were to say, how many scriptures have you memorized as a Christian? I'd say, I don't have any clue. Well, why don't you tell us something? I probably couldn't do it. I couldn't just say, why, and just go down a litany of verses and just uh, spit them out. But I'll tell you what I've discovered in my life. At the moment that I've needed them the most, scriptures that I've memorized in the past, the Holy Spirit brings them to my attention when I need them most. And so memorizing scripture is a big deal. But 
When you think about it, I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface. Take these rabbis, for example. Take this, for example. Let's say I said, well, you know, to appreciate that a rabbi in Jesus' day would memorize all of the Hebrew scriptures. uh, So I'm going to under-challenge you. I'm going to say, hey, sometime between, you know, today and next Sunday when you come back, I want you to memorize word for word one chapter out of the New Testament. And then when you come back next Sunday, I'm going to bring you up one by one and quiz you on it. You know what I would guarantee Record low attendance for our church. <laughs> Record low attendance. Because you, you would not want to be tested. You would not want to be quizzed. But these rabbis, and that's how, you, that's how you can know how much they loved the book and wanted to teach the book. They memorized it. Then Jesus comes along, and you know what Jesus does? He goes beyond that. Jesus claims to be knowledgeable of the book like none other. And Jesus is saying things like, you know what? I not only know the book, I actually know the author of the book because he's my father. And I know the book better than anybody knows the book. I know it in and out. I know about God, and I know about life, and I know about death, and I know about your life, and I know about God's plan for your life. He is completely humble. You see examples of that concerning Jesus again and again, while at the same time unapologetically claiming supremacy with his connection to God and the book of God, and he teaches the book of God, and he does it with such authority that the people look around and they say, man, this is new. It's powerful. He teaches with authority like none of the other teachers. So how does Jesus teach? Jesus teaches with authority. Number two, why? Why does Jesus teach? Simply put, the reason why Jesus teaches is to change, is to transform lives. Now, in our day, we sort of summarize, we put teaching in these tidy little ideas of understanding. And so in our day, we often think of teaching as the transfer, simply as the transfer of information. So a teacher teaches, a student takes notes, and eventually a student gets graded on the notes that they've taken when the teacher's taught. And, and this happens. If you, and we've got a lot of people in our, our church that are in the educational environment. And, and you've heard this. If you're an educator, you've heard students say something like this. Like if they wanted to be sure that they really get good, clear notes, they'll say something like this while they're writing. Uh, I'm taking notes is this, what you're lecturing, what you're teaching, is this going to be on the, is this going to be on the test? If, if they come to the end of the semester, they get really amped up about it, want to make sure that they're getting all of the right notes, and so they'll say toward the end of the semester, is, is this what you're talking about now? Is this going to be on the, on the final? Is this going to be on the final? Because I want to be sure that I really get down what I'm supposed to get down. Now, I'm, I mentioned to you that some time ago that I, I studied the Bible a little bit different way. Anytime it would say multitudes, crowds, you know, anything about that concerning Jesus' teachings, I'd highlight that. Here's something you may want to check out sometime when you're studying the Bible. Look and see how many times people took notes when Jesus was taking, when Jesus was teaching. You know how many times it says in the New Testament that people took notes when Jesus was teaching? You know how many times it it alludes to that? Zippo. Zero. It never says they did. Now, is it bad? No, I encourage. You've heard me say, hey, write this down. You know, jot this down. You may want to write this down and recall it later. Now, when Jesus taught, no one ever took notes. You cannot find it anywhere in the Bible. Why? Because we instinctively remember anything that changes our lives. You don't have to write it down if it changes your life. 
you instinctively remember it. You don't have to write it down to retain. There are certain events that have happened in history that, that you don't write down because it, there's something about it that was just so, so major. You didn't have to write it down to be able to retain the, the information. Let me, let me show you an example of this. How many of, you, how many of you happen to be alive? Now, this is before my time, way, way before my time. Not really, uh, but it was before my time. How many of you remember the assassination of our president, John F. Kennedy. How many of you were alive then? How many of you remember that? You remember that? How many of you, when you heard that the president had been shot and had died in a hospital in Dallas, how many of you remember not where he was, but you remember where you were when you heard the news? I remember where I was. Now, I wasn't alive for, for that event, but I was alive when the space shuttle exploded. Been falling, you know, and I don't even remember her, her name but the uh, lady that went up in space, and there's a lot of, lot of information about that, and I remember the space shuttle had exploded. I remember where I was. I was a student at Southeastern, actually, at the time. And I can remember, like, what? What just happened? And walking outside in a little courtyard area and just seeing if we could see any of the debris field that we'd been hearing about. And like, oh, my goodness. 9-11. You'll remember. How many of you remember 9-11? How many of you remember where you were? When you heard and you watched, you turned on the TV, you watched the second tower get hit. All of that, Pentagon, you remember that. There's going to be a lot of people, there's a lot of people who will remember Hurricane Matthew because of the devastation and destruction along the East Coast, primarily, you know, in places uh, like we talked about earlier, Haiti. But, you know, wasn't that unbelievable that the hurricane just came right up the eastern seaboard? They said, and I started reading about it because they were talking about how big and powerful this storm, Category 4 and such. So I started reading up on it, and I was reading things like it was the most powerful, powerful hurricane to hit, hit the eastern coast of Florida since Hurricane Andrew. And I thought, oh, man, I remember Hurricane Andrew. I remember I had relatives living down there. The devastation went down there not long ago after that happened. And I thought, this is the most powerful. And so that got my attention. I started reading a little bit more. And then I, I read about, you know, a hurricane of this magnitude. I've got family in Georgia, and my in-laws live not too far inland in coastal Georgia. In fact, if, how many of you know where Brunswick? You ever hear of Brunswick, Georgia? You go to Brunswick, Georgia, you do, go uh, due west about 40 minutes, and that's where my in-laws live. And still, I, when I checked on them this morning, they still don't have power. And uh, so I'd call them prior to the storm ever hitting, and, you know, it's just my nature, good, bad, whatever. But, it, you know, sometimes just to lighten things up when things are a little bit heavy or a little bit, you know, worrisome, I'll say things to try and lighten things up. And I had actually been reading, so I've got my father-in-law on the phone, and I, I know that my mother-in-law is nearby. So I said to him, I said, do you know, and it's true, I said, and I felt like he wouldn't know this. I said, do you know when is the last time? That a, that a hurricane this powerful hit coastal Georgia. He said, I don't have any idea. I said, I'll tell you when. 1898. And he said, I could tell that got his attention. And I knew my mother-in-law, so I just want to lighten these a little bit. I said, uh, hey, is uh, Nanny there? We call her Nanny. Is Nanny? Oh, yeah, she's right here with me. I said, last one to hit, 1898. I said, go ahead and ask her, did they let their class out of school early that day? And, and, and he chickened out initially. And then I had to push him. And eventually he asked it, and he started laughing. Best I can tell, I'm going to be one short of a gift at Christmas this year. There's going to be one less. Not looking too good for me right now. But you, you'll remember events. And, and, you know, you don't have to write them down. 
And people never forgot when Jesus changed their life. Look at this verse. This is Matthew. Matthew 7, 24. Look at it. Therefore, everyone who hears, this is Jesus speaking, everyone who hears these words of mine. What is he talking about? He's talking about his teaching. When they hear these words of mine and put them into practice, it's like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Wise person who builds their life. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you know, here's the reality. Here's the reality. I teach with authority. I teach with authority. And why do I teach? I teach to change lives. And if you will take my words, Jesus said, and you will build your life around my words. And Jesus did not say with this arrogance or superiority. He's the most humble of all. He just said, here's the reality. If you will build your life upon a solid foundation, upon my teachings, when the winds come and the waves come, blows against your house, against your life, is what Jesus, he wasn't talking literally about a house. He was using that figuratively about their life. Here's what's going to happen. You'll be able to stand because everybody's going to face storms. But if you build your life on the solid foundation of my teachings, when all of this happens, and then contrast, in a contrasting way, he says, you know what? If you don't build your life on my teachings... Here's what's going to happen. And he uses the exact same language. He said, when the waves come and the winds blow and there's a storm and it blows against your house, when it blows against your life, you know what's going to happen? It's going to, it's going to crumble. It's going to disintegrate. And I see a lot of people. I'm a people person, and I, I know a lot of people. I connect with a lot of people, and I see people all the time. It's just like I'm thinking in my mind, oh, man. You know, I know that everybody's going to have problems. How many of you know that? You've got problems. I've got problems. All God's people's got problems. But how many of you know this? There are some problems that could be avoided if your life is built on a solid foundation. And, uh, man, and Jesus said, you, you follow my teachings. You embrace my teachings because Jesus taught to change lives. And I like what somebody said. You'll never know if Jesus can be trusted until you begin to do what Jesus says. Let me move on, all right, to the who did Jesus teach. And I'll just mention this briefly. Uh, Why did Jesus teach or how did Jesus teach? Jesus taught with authority. Why did he teach? He taught to change lives. Who did he teach? And I love this part of it. Jesus taught everybody. And you say, well, man, I knew you were going to say that. Well, maybe so. But it was so uncharacteristic of what happened among everybody else in Jesus' day. And, And I'll just give you a couple of examples. Guess who was the first rabbi? Whoever had, whoever had a female disciple, who was it? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. Jesus actually elevated women. Jesus actually brought dignity. In fact, a rabbi in Jesus' day would not even think about having a female disciple or student. And Jesus broke all that up when invited females to become his disciples, his followers. And Jesus taught everybody. He would not include, et, et, exclude anybody from his school. You didn't have to be a part of a special in-group. He was the one who taught uh, women, but not just women. He, he taught anybody that was repressed or overlooked. Jesus taught women, but he also taught children. And he taught Gentiles, and he even taught despised Samaritans. Jesus' school always had open enrollment, and his teaching, as I mentioned already, changed the world. It changed lives. So Jesus taught with authority. Jesus taught to change lives. Jesus taught everybody. What did Jesus teach? What did he teach? I love talking about this part of it. 
What did Jesus teach? Now, there's a lot of verses in the Gospels which reveal this to us, but I want you to look at this one up on the screen. This is John 8, 32, and I want all of you to read it with me, 100% of you to read it with me. Everybody, let's read it. Here we go. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. You're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What did Jesus teach? Jesus taught the truth. He was the embodiment of truth. Sometime later, and I'll just give you one other example. It's toward the end of Jesus' life, and he's actually standing before Pilate, and Pilate's asking him all these questions, and really secretively, and I was reading this in my devotionals just this week, by the way, Pilate actually wants to release Jesus because it says he knew, he knew that while they wanted him crucified, this all had to do about jealousy and stuff because Jesus' life and ministry and teaching is growing in popularity, and the more that they paid attention to Jesus, the less they paid attention to those who were egomaniacs wanted to hold power seats, and it just made him mad. His teachings made him mad because he had pointed them out for what they really were. And uh, so Pilate, you know, secretively would love to re- release Jesus. And uh, so he's asking him some questions. Jesus is not saying a whole lot, really. He's not trying to defend himself. But Jesus does speak up, and he says this. He said, for this reason I was born. For this reason, I came into the world, to testify to the truth. And then he uses some unique language that I love. He said, everybody, everyone on this side of truth listens to me. It's like people who don't want to believe the truth, who don't want to receive me as the person of truth, they're not going to listen. But every person on this side of truth. And then Pilate asked a very, very profound question that people are still asking today. In fact, they're asking it all the time. And Pilate looked at Jesus when he said that. And he said, then what is truth? What is truth? And people are asking that a lot today. It's an enormous question that is being begged in our day. What is truth? And you know that there's a lot of debates about this. And there's a lot of disagreements about it and fairly explosive emotions and highly charged conversations wrapped around this issue of truth. Because if someone has the truth, if somebody has the truth, and they have, and I don't mean this in a negative sense, but if they have the truth, they have the power, they have the authority, they have the real influence in the world. I wanted to speak to this for just a moment because a lot of times we don't take this into consideration. You should not be ashamed if you're a Christian that you are a Christian. You should not apologize that you're a follower of Jesus if you are a follower of Jesus. You know what, mates, you know, and everybody, and I'm just saying this, and and you know my spirit, you know my nature. uh, I'm not an argumentative person. I'm not any of those. But I'm just telling you, friends, at the end of the day, every world religion cannot be right. They all can't be right. They can't. And I understand we've got to have unity with everyone. I'm all for unity. I'm all for peace. I'm I'm all for that. I'm all for that. But I'm not willing to claim that all religions are the same. And not all religions are true. There is one that is true above all others, and that is because situated in it is the man of truth. And the man of truth is Jesus himself. See, all religions, if you're part of a world religion, you believe this one is the right one. And everybody that's a part of religion, no, this one is the right. And that's where disagreements and debates and anger get stirred up. No, this one. And in order for mine to be right, yours all have to be wrong. But this is where I, I, I sort of lean. Not sort of lean. I strongly lean. I firmly, 100% lean. All right? So every world religion can point to a leader. In Christianity, who do we point to? We point to Jesus. 
Now, a lot of people can say this about their leader, but only one world religion can say this, and it's Christianity, about their leader. Their leader died, and all the other leaders died, but only one was resurrected, and that is Jesus. And this is how I feel about it. I hope you do as well. If anybody rises from the dead, you probably ought to listen to that person. You know what I mean? Every other world religion's leader is dead and stayed dead. But Jesus is as much alive today as he ever was before. Dallas Willard, I love what Dallas Willard said about it. He said he is the man of truth. He is the possessor of all knowledge. Now, knowledge is an important thing. I love this story. It was about a retired engineer. Uh, his name is Charles Steinmetz, a retired engineer from General Electric. And this happened many, many years ago. But I want you to listen to the story, the genius of this. He was an electrical engineer for General Electric in the early part of the 20th century. On one occasion, after his retirement, when the other engineers around GE were baffled by the breakdown of a comp- complex of machines, they finally asked Steinmetz to come back to see if he could pinpoint what the problem was with this machinery. So Steinmetz came back. And he spent several minutes walking around the machines. Then listen to what he did. It's a true story. He took a piece of chalk out of his pocket, and he made a cross mark on one particular piece of one particular machine. To their amazement, when the engineers disassembled that part of the machine, it turned out to be the precise location of the breakdown. And they're like, they're like amazed by that. A few days later, the engineers received a bill from Steinmarts for $10,000, which was, by the way, a staggering amount of money when it happened. This seemed exorbitant, so they returned it to him with a request that he itemize it. After a few more days, they received a second, now itemized bill, and I love this. He said, and this is how the bill broke down, making one cross mark with chalk, $1. Knowing where to put it, $9,999. Jesus is the man of truth. And he further adds, Dallas Willard said about him, follow Jesus, and if you can find a better way than him, then he would be the first to tell you to take it. And Jesus, the man of truth, who also claimed complete understanding of the book of truth. What you've got to love about Jesus is he never became steeped in arrogance. What you've got to love about people is people who are really, really smart, but they don't use their intelligence to hurt other people. You know, I'm, I mentioned a moment ago, I'm a pe- I love people. I, I love conversations with people. I like hanging out with people. I like people. But God knows this, so I'm not like surprising God when I tell you this. There is one group of people that I struggle with, and that is the classic know-it-all. Oh, I struggle with know-it-alls. And I know-it-all, you know, I, I'm, I don't struggle with people who are extraordinarily bright. I struggle with people who are know-it-alls. It doesn't matter what the subject is. They know it, and even when they speak, and you know that what they're saying is not even close to being accurate, and yet they tell it as though it is accurate because they know it all. Oh, man, I can't hang out with a person like that. Jesus knew it all, and yet he was never arrogant about it. In fact, look at what the Apostle Paul, this is out of 1 Corinthians 8, the B part of verse 1. Look at what Paul said. He said, knowledge puffs you up with pride, but love builds up. So we come to the last one, and this is just take a moment. Jesus, he taught with authority. He taught to change lives. He taught everybody. He taught the truth. When did Jesus teach? When did he teach? That's really important. Jesus really taught everywhere, all the time. Teaching really matters a whole lot. Some of you who are educators may appreciate this. It's a story I ran across uh, some time ago. 
And it says in the story, the dinner guests were sitting around the table discussing life. Tom, a CEO, decided to explain the problem with education. Classic know-it-all, all right? So he argued, what's a kid going to learn from somebody who decided his best option in life was to become a teacher? He reminded the other dinner guests boastfully that it's true what they say about teachers, he said. Those who can do, those who can't teach. To corroborate, he said to another guest, hey, Susan, you're a teacher. Go ahead, be honest. What do you make? What do you make, Susan? Susan, who had a reputation of honesty and frankness, replied, you want to know what I make? You want to know? I make kids work harder than they ever thought they could. I can make a C-plus student feel like they won the Congressional Medal of Honor and an A-minus student feel like a slap in the face if the student did not do their very best work. I can make kids sit through 40 minutes of study hall in absolute silence, and I love this next part, and I can make parents tremble in fear when I call home. You want to know what else I make? I make kids wonder. I make them question. I make them criticize. I make them apologize and mean it. I make them write. I make them read and read and read. I make them spell, de- spell definitely and beautiful over and over again until they will never misspell either one of those words again. I make them show all their work in math and hide it all on their final drafts in English. I elevate them to experience music and art, enjoying the performance so their lives are rich and full of kindness and culture, and they take pride in themselves and their accomplishments. I make them understand that if you have the brains, then follow your heart. I love what she says next. And if someone ever tries to judge you by what you make, you pay them no attention. She said, Tom, I'll tell you what I make. I make a difference. What do you make? And Jesus made a difference. And Jesus is still making a difference. And Jesus, when is he teaching? He's teaching all the time. Let me show you just one example real quick before we're done. We're, going, we're about out of here. Look at this one example. Right, right up here. Right, right up here. There it is, all right? It says, when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, these were his followers, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, how many of you would say, if Jesus knows everything, he already knows what they were arguing about on the road? But he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? He already knows, but they kept quiet. Why did they keep quiet? Because on the way, look at what they argued about. They argued about who is the greatest. Listen, if you're ever having a conversation with other people about how great you are, you don't want to admit that to Jesus. And they didn't. And Jesus already knew what they were arguing about. He asked them. And they just sort of looked down, wouldn't speak. And Jesus used that as a teaching moment. When did Jesus teach? I'll tell you when Jesus taught. He taught all the time. He had these teaching moments. Right after the one that you just saw, he says, I know what you were arguing about. He said, you were arguing about who is the greatest. He said, that's not the path that we take. He said, if you want to be great, you know how you achieve greatness? You've got to become a servant of all. And Jesus became the greatest servant of all, but he was the greatest of all in the dichotomy of that. And he was always teaching on the go. Now, I've got good news for you as we close. Jesus is still teaching today. He has open enrollment. I hear parents talk about this and students when they're getting toward the end of their high school years, they're talking about what school they want to, I applied here and I applied there and they anxiously await a letter of acceptance. I want to see, and I I know how it is for most students. Most students are wanting to get into the University of Georgia. I know that and I know why they want to do that. I know that and it's not easy. It's not easy. Don't get your hopes up. But Jesus is teaching today, and in his school, he has open enrollment. And the beauty of it is you can become his student today. You can follow his teachings. You can look at the man of truth who knows the book of truth, and you can say, you know what? I think he's the one. 
Hey, all these other leaders, this is the one that rose from the dead. He's a man of truth. And I want to build my life on a solid foundation. Why do it your way when you don't have to? Open enrollment, and you can join Jesus at school today. Would you stand, everybody? Stand for closing prayer. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then, you know, there may be those of you that you just want to come down today. And uh, not everybody, you know, we're going to pray, dismiss, and I'm so glad that all of you came today. And I just promise you, you don't want to miss next week. You don't want to miss any week while we're talking about Jesus especially. But there are those of you here today that you've got needs in your life. And in just a moment when I pray and say amen and people fall out, you want somebody to pray with you. You want somebody to agree with you. I want you to just, some of our leaders, we're just hanging out around the front and you just come down. And we want to pray for you. We really do. And we'll probably say something like this. Why can't we pray with you, Bob? And you can tell us. Or if it's just like really private or really deep, you can just, you don't have to tell us. And just say, hey, I'm going through a struggle or I need wisdom or whatever it is and we want to pray for you. Others of you, you're choosing today and I'm so proud of you. I think it's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. You're choosing to join Jesus' school today. Open enrollment and you can become a student. And you're saying, that's what I want to do. And I want you to come down and let one of us know. We're not going to make a big deal, you know. We're not going to do anything crazy. We're just going to congratulate you. Say, hey, welcome. Good to have another student. Smartest thing you'd ever do to become a follower of Jesus. But just tell somebody. Go public about that. And so I'm going to pray. Those of you that want to come and just say that, hey, I'm following Jesus from this point forward. Or, hey, I've got a need in my life. I want somebody to pray for me. I need some encouragement. I need healing. I need a touch. I need wisdom, whatever it is. So, Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you that you care about us and you want to meet our needs. Thank you for every person that is here. Thank you, Jesus, for your teaching and that it changed the world. And you're still teaching today and you're still changing lives today. Pray that there'll be many today who'll say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to be your follower. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new start. I want to be your student. I believe you're the man of truth who understands the book of truth. And I want my life to be built on something that is solid, that when I face storms and problems and challenges, my life won't be obliterated. That I'll be able to stand because my life is built on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. See you next Sunday.